There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You, you know, human beings are habitual. And uh, when you're used to winning, I think winning comes a little easier. When you're not there yet, I think it's a little harder. And maybe you're waiting on it to happen instead of making it happen. And um, I do think that that little bit of extra confidence or just knowing it's going to happen rather than hoping um, could probably take us the next step. So um, we're trying to be as psychological with the guys as we can, but uh, they believe how good a team they are. Uh, Now it's just a matter of making the play when it counts and when it matters the most. That was Nebraska head coach Scott Frost, rested and ready after a bye week, talking about what is still the Huskers' current reality. That of a team that is clearly improving in almost every way, other than the only way that matters, the win column. I thought it was a good explanation of where Nebraska's at, even if it's still murky just how the Huskers find that belief Frost's talking about, how they find that ability to make something happen rather than wait for something to happen. Purdue offers yet another chance for the Huskers to break their recent habits. It's a game that has massive implications for what the 2021 season still can and cannot be. Is this one where things change, or are we doomed to ask this question each time out? You're listening to the I-80 Preview, Huskers Boilermakers Edition. I'm Hale Varsity Managing Editor Brandon Vogel. Let's talk some football. Kick off the first half of this week's show with a look at the line on this game. At Circus Sports on Sunday, Nebraska opened as a seven-point favorite over 4-3 and three Purdue. Um, it was up to seven and a half most places by midweek, which was right in line with what SP Plus and FPI projected for this game. Those are ESPN's two primary power ranking metrics. Uh, SP Plus has Nebraska 20th nationally, sitting here at three and five with a 13.7 rating. Purdue is 40th in those rankings with an 8.5 rating. That projects a line when you factor in two and a half points for home field of Nebraska minus 7.5, right where it was at. FPI shifts the scale just ever so slightly. Um, the football power index has the Huskers 21st this week. 10 and a, 10.0 is the, the rating there, so 10 points better than the average college football team this season. Purdue's at 43rd with a 5.2, which also ends up with a 7.5 point line in favor of Big Red. The average line at the predictiontracker.com was Nebraska minus 5.6 uh, with a standard deviation of 3.9. So there's more than 60 different predictions there that are compiled there. It tells you that about more than two-thirds of them are favoring the Huskers to some degree in this game, maybe not quite as highly as SP Plus and FP, FPI do on the whole. Overall, however, pretty clear agreement that NU is a decent favorite here. Barring any drastic changes before Wisconsin or Iowa at the end of the season, this will be Nebraska's most likely win the rest of the way. What are Nebraska's chances of finding three more wins and reaching bowl eligibility? Uh, We can do some projections and a little bit of math on that as well. Uh, Based on this week's FPI, the rest of Nebraska's schedule after this week projects as follows. 
Ohio State would be a 12.5-point favorite, so not looking at great straight-up win odds there. The other two, however, uh, pretty much coin tosses. FPI would have Wisconsin as a one-point home favorite over Nebraska, and it would have Iowa as a one-and-a-half-point road underdog in the season finale in Lincoln. Yes, Iowa. SP Plus, pretty similar. Ohio State, again, 12.5-point favorite. Uh, The Buckeyes are number one in SP Plus this week, ahead of Georgia and Alabama. Wisconsin, uh, SP Plus views Wisconsin much more highly than FPI does, um, based on the strength of that Badgers defense, and also just some differences to where they came in at with the the preseason rankings, which get phased out gradually. Um, But the Badgers would be a a 9.5-point favorite over Nebraska, according to SP Plus while the Huskers would get a point back uh, compared to FPI, at least against the Hawkeyes uh, SP plus makes Nebraska a two and a half point favorite in that one. Bill Connolly, who is the inventor and proprietor, I believe are the terms he uses of that SP plus system also uh, put out some bull projections and season win totals for remaining games on Twitter this past week. And his projections give Nebraska a 40% chance of finishing the season with five wins. So that would be one short, of course, of bowl eligibility. Um, Connolly's metrics give Nebraska a 20% chance of reaching six or seven wins, which would automatically qualify them for, for the postseason. Well, not automatically. It would qualify them for the postseason. You still have to be selected. Um, usually not a problem at a place like Nebraska. We'll dive into the matchups for this week with a look at three three key players both ways. Um, number one for Purdue is, no surprise, defensive end George Karloftis. Uh, he's number five. Don't worry. He won't be hard to spot. Uh, pretty clearly, I think, the best player on the field this Saturday. He has three sacks to to lead the team this year, but his overall impact goes goes far beyond that. Found the uh, the end zone for the first time in his career on a 56-yard scoop and score. And he, he's just fun to watch. It's, it's kind of a shame that the nickname the Greek Freak is already taken because Karloftis, who, who grew up in Greece before moving to West Lafayette, which certainly uh, worked out well for Purdue, fits the bill as well. He's extremely athletic um, and just a, a tough guy to, to match up with. Um, Wisconsin tried a couple of times to, to leave him with single coverage, uh, in terms from an offensive line perspective, or try to block him with just one guy and didn't go so well for the Badgers. Number two should be a pretty familiar name. Uh, if you follow Purdue at all, or if you just follow them to the degree when they, they play Nebraska, but feels like he's been around for quite a while. Wide receiver, David Bell, number three. Averages 7.3 receptions and 118.7 receiving yards per game. Both tops in the Big Ten. There's not much mystery here. Purdue wants to get him the ball, and Purdue does get him the ball. Uh, One of the most talented receivers in the Big Ten. And how Nebraska handles him and just this passing game overall will come up in the second half of this podcast. Third on the list, uh, we'll take take the easy route here and, and give a guy that Scott Frost mentioned by by number, which in, in a football context is kind of the ultimate sign of respect. Um, linebacker Jalen Graham, number six, like I said he got that special mention from Frost at the press conference this week. 
does a bit of everything for the Boilermakers. Um, 27 tackles, three of those for loss, plus five pass breakups and a forced fumble. He's sort of Purdue's Jojo Doman, if you wanted to put him in that context. He's an outside linebacker who doesn't come off the field a whole lot. Flip the scorecard around here and take a look at the Nebraska side of things. Kept things kind of intentionally basic this week. Um, We all know the circumstances facing the Huskers with what they need to do to uh, even have a shot at playing in the postseason. And that being the case, facing a series of what will be kind of must-win games with maybe one game of flex room, so to speak. You need your best players to play well. Um, And that's kind of where we're at with four games left in this Husker season. So number one on my list, I usually try to avoid putting him here because it's uh, pretty obvious that he should be here every week. But I am going to go with quarterback Adrian Martinez. Is he 100% healthy? Uh, Scott Frost said this week during uh, practice availability that he should be. Um, He was clearly dinged up as we came to find out afterwards, or as you probably noticed while watching that Minnesota game. Um, but looks like he'll be pretty close to, to full strength against a active and sound Purdue defense. Uh, Martinez remains Nebraska's best chance to kind of erase some mistakes and make something from nothing. Um, Purdue's going to put pressure on the quarterback. Everybody's put pressure on the quarterback against Nebraska this season. It'd be far worse, uh, if the Huskers had a statue back there which Martinez clearly is not when he's at full health. So he's the kind of guy who can take those plays that look pretty bad for, for, an, for an offense uh, and turn them into something pretty positive. How often he does that on Saturday will go a long way to how much success this Husker offense is going to have. Second on my list for Nebraska this week, uh, if we're going to go with the Purdue version of JoJo Doman, we got to include the original as well. Um, he's played two games against Purdue. So far in his career, has 19 total tackles in those two. Um, he needs to be a presence on Saturday, given how often Purdue's going to throw the ball. And that may not be the first thing we think of with Doman, but again, his, his kind of key advantage over a lot of defenders in college football is he's a guy who doesn't have to leave the field. So he's especially key in a game like this. Number three on the list this week for Nebraska Really thought hard about going with tight end Austin Allen uh, under the your best players and best leaders need to show up in these the kind of games Nebraska's going to have. But here's a guy who's not far off. Uh, I'm going with wide receiver Samori Toure. Nebraska could really use a big game from him. It's been a bit all or nothing with Nebraska's leading receiver this season. He's topped 100 yards in three games, but in the other five, he's been under... 45 yards receiving each time that includes one catch for one yard against Minnesota, which certainly stood out in a game. Nebraska really needed to, to win. So we know the wide receiver talent that Purdue has Nebraska's is, is as good as it's been in that category under this current coaching staff. If it looks like a pretty close battle, if it looks like something close to a draw on that front, all the better for the Huskers. That'll conclude a pretty quick first half here, but we've got a lot to get to in the second half. Uh, here's Rusty Dawkins with your weather forecast for Saturday in Lincoln. 
You can follow Rusty at Husker Weather on Twitter and check HailVarsity.com for the latest updates on the conditions for the game. Hi there, everyone. I'm meteorologist Rusty Dawkins with the I-80 Preview Podcast Forecast, and we've got a really nice game coming up uh, weather-wise as we head into Saturday and Purdue coming to town. It's going to be a chilly start, though. If you start your tailgating early, like 6 a.m., 7 a.m., temperatures will be in the middle 30s, so we'll chill in the air, but mostly clear skies and a very light southwest wind. By 9 a.m., mostly sunny, warming up into the middle 40s with a southwest wind starting to pick up at 5 to 15 miles per hour, and I think by noon, pretty nice. Mostly sunny skies and temperatures in the middle 50s with a west wind at 5 to 15 miles per hour. Now, as we head towards kickoff, the wind starts to pick up a little bit out of the northwest, 10, 20, maybe gusting a little bit higher than that, but temperatures will be near 60 and plenty of sunshine. We continue with the 60s, the lower 60s by halftime, but mostly sunny skies and that northwest wind still hanging on at 10 to 20 miles per hour. And I think by the end of the game, mostly sunny and temperatures starting to drop off a little bit in the upper 50s and that northwest wind starting to die down just a little bit out of the northwest at 5 to 15 miles per hour. So overall, really a nice day for football, especially for the last part of October. I'm meteorologist Rusty Dawkins. We'll have updates on all my social media channels. That's Husker Weather on Twitter and Facebook, Rusty WX on all the social media channels, and we'll have updates on Hale Varsity as well. Go Big Red! There's the kick, and the second half is underway. It's a touchback again. Seriously, I don't know why we continue to partake in this charade of of kickoff returns, but it's neither here nor there. Let's get to the important question. How does Nebraska beat Purdue? First key for me on Saturday, the pass defense has to hold up. Perhaps this is obvious against the most pass-dependent team in the Big Ten. But if that's the case, then we'll just call it obviously important. Nebraska's defense has flirted with danger the past two times out against the Boilermakers. In 2020, the Blackshirts allowed a 70.2% completion percentage, 334 yards through the air, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. Nebraska won that game. 2019, a 75.6% completion percentage, 304 yards through the air, two touchdowns with two interceptions. A Nebraska loss. 2018 was the only game between these two under this current Nebraska staff when the Huskers, where the Huskers were able to hold Purdue under the 70% completion. In 2018, Purdue completed 59.5 for 328 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. That 70% number doesn't come from nowhere. Um, it's it's kind of a key one for Purdue or has been since 2018. So as long as Nebraska's current staff has been in place. Purdue's 9-4 overall when completing better than 70%. 7-18 win below that. Nebraska's allowed that twice. The Huskers enter Saturday, allowing a 63.8% completion percentage on the year. It's allowed 70-plus to three teams this year, Illinois, Oklahoma, and Minnesota. All losses, obviously. You could also look at this from a success rate perspective. Nebraska does a good job so far defensively of limiting explosive passes, but its success rate against the pass, 46.1%, ranks 101st nationally this week. Since 2018, Purdue is 8-4 with a passing success rate better than 46%. Nebraska has to find a way to disrupt this passing game, even if it plays to its season-long average in, in success rate against the pass. That still puts it in the danger zone. So this is one of those areas where kind of could go either way is probably advantage Purdue. Um, 
And Nebraska is going to have to try to get below that 46%, basically at season average, or be at it without safety Deontay Williams. Miles Farmer, his replacement, isn't totally green. He's a player that I really like, but expect the Boilermakers and Jeff Brom to explore just how much he's ready to handle. It's kind of a challenge when it comes to facing this Purdue offense. You know, they stand out in the Big Ten for just how much they pass the ball. But it's not just that. The challenge is really that Purdue throws all of the passes. It'll take shots downfield. And with the type of receiver that David Bell is, a guy who's going to win 50-50 balls the majority of the time, you've got to do that at least a couple times a game. But they'll also throw to stay on schedule. They're not afraid to be creative and throw short, quick passes. They'll throw to the tight ends. Um, tight ends, leading, second leading receiver on the team right now. They'll find backs out of the backfield. They'll put two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. They'll put two quarterbacks on the field, run a reverse, and try and throw a pass that way, like they did against Wisconsin. They'll run flea flickers. It's the whole passing package when you're facing Purdue. And Nebraska's defense, again, good overall. Got a couple of points where you're like, eh, that could be a little bit better for me, really all season. And it hasn't emerged in as many games as I would have thought uh, coming in. Past defenses has been one of those where it's not bad. It's just compared to how well they're playing in some other areas. It's a place if you were an opposing offensive coordinator, you'd probably think about attacking Purdue thinks that way all the time. So it's an interesting defense-offense matchup that way for Nebraska. We'll turn that around for the second key to the game. Uh, What was Nebraska able to scheme up offensively with its extra week of preparation? After years of shuffling through defensive coordinators, including Bob Diaco last year, Purdue finally has a defensive unit capable of being good on its own, not just a stopgap to support the offense. And this Boilermaker defense is kind of an interesting problem to solve. The numbers here are good across the board. So we're only talking about kind of comparative quote-unquote weaknesses here. But from an efficiency standpoint, staying on schedule, there's slightly more room to do that via the run if you're Nebraska's offense. In the explosiveness department, Purdue's been a little more susceptible to that, the big plays, via the pass. So how do you choose to attack that? Well, hopefully you can get both of those. And we know that's kind of Nebraska's ideal form. Frost continually says, when the run game's working, everything works better. It's not specifically a Nebraska thing. That's more just football and how the game is built. But the Huskers have struggled to kind of have that running success consistently. And it continues to be a key part of this 2021 season. That's why with a couple of options to choose from here when thinking about Nebraska's offense and what it hopes to and chooses to do against Purdue, I'm, go- I'm going with the run game as my primary point of emphasis for when the Huskers have the ball. Can they run it against a defense that enters the game allowing 3.9 yards per carry? Maybe is, is my answer. The Huskers 4.88 yards per carry on offense ranks a pretty solid 38th nationally right now. But NU, even more impressive here, Nebraska's managed those 4.88 yards per carry 
against a schedule that so far this season has allowed on average 3.75. Minnesota, Michigan, Michigan State, and Oklahoma all rank in the top 35 in rush yards per play allowed. To put it another way, Nebraska's been about 30% better with the rush than you'd expect an average team to with this schedule. Purdue's rush defense, then, is a little bit below average compared to what NU has faced so far. Remember, 3.75 is what Nebraska's schedule has produced to this point. Purdue comes in at 3.9. So we're not talking about a huge difference, but you just kind of think about this on a on a curve, and you can kind of picture where, where Purdue would fall on that. Doesn't mean this isn't a strong rush defense. Definitely not that. And it doesn't mean, but doesn't doesn't mean Nebraska is going to line up and just run the ball with ease. But when you fa- factor in the schedule Nebraska has faced, and there's still three more really tough teams to go um, on that front. The Boilermakers fall somewhere in the middle there. And while things have rarely looked crisp for Nebraska, particularly in the handoff run game, it has been perhaps quietly overperforming when running the football. And, you know, the big plays aren't there consistently unless they're coming from Martinez. The option looks good, but is not a regular piece of the offense. It has been at times, but uh, we didn't see it a ton against Minnesota, which may have had a lot to do with Adrian Martinez's health. We'll see if that's back, but Overall, from a from a numbers perspective, I was a little bit surprised when I broke down Nebraska's rushing numbers this week. Better than I you'd think. Still not what I would call a pure strength, but can it look that way in a game like this? If it does, that kind of unlocks all of the extra stuff that Nebraska wants to do. Most notably, then I think the big plays in the passing game become much more likely. So those are sort of the ideal conditions that Nebraska needs, in my opinion, to find for its offense. And that's not specific to Purdue. That's, you know, against any any opponent, a nameless, faceless opponent, if you will. Speaking of ideal conditions, third key for this week for me. And this one's going to be a little bit in the weeds, but bear with me. Nebraska needs to take some shortcuts. I know football is more typically thought of as a game about hard work and gutting it out and all that stuff. But winning football games is also about shortcuts. Field position is a shortcut, literally in in some cases. Starting fast, being ready to go from the opening whistle is a bit of a shortcut. Turnovers are too random for me to call a shortcut, so instead I'll call them finding a $20 bill on the ground while you're on some other shortcut. But of course those, those impact games to a large um, and in my opinion, largely annoying degree. Nebraska far too often in the frost era has taken the longest and most difficult route in these games. It took all of 17 plays for Minnesota to have exactly the game it wanted last time out. Nebraska took the ball. Well, Minnesota deferred the decision, so Nebraska had no choice but to take the ball. Came out, ran three plays unsuccessfully. Um, listening to the postgame breakdown from the coaches, there were some things that Nebraska missed on those plays. But point is, Minnesota got to stop, start the game. Almost no time off the clock. 
it was like the possession didn't even happen. Then when the Gophers got the ball, they went on a long 14-play touchdown drive, chewed up more than first, a half of the first quarter to respond from that. So to get back to kind of a game state that is at least neutral ground, Nebraska would have needed something like a three-play touchdown drive. That sort of thing happens a lot to Nebraska. I spent most of this past bye week trying to find Nebraska's quote-unquote fingerprint for the first for the frost era what what is the kind of game that this team needs to have success what is the kind of game it often gets i didn't find many solid answers only theories first let's look at the standard rhythm of a football game this year i'm going to use expected points added um EPA for short, which isn't anything all that fancy. It's just kind of the latest step in where football analytics have been going for quite a while. You can assign a point value based on down distance and field position. First and 10 from the 20 is worth two points, two expected points. That's how much that drive is expected to produce. You gain five yards at second and five from second from the 25 and the EPA for the rest of that drive is 2.5. So the expected points added there is 0.5. That's just purely example. I don't know if those are, well, in fact, I know those aren't the numbers, but using that as kind of a base measure here, I went back and looked at all of Nebraska's games from 2018 and compared it to all of the games from 2021. And the only reason I only used 2021 as the baseline there is because, uh, my software couldn't handle the number of plays for the past four and a half or three and a half football seasons. But I'm quite confident having looked at multiple years individually, these EPA numbers don't change a whole lot. There's just the sample sizes are so big that this is kind of, it is what it is. So how does a football game typically go from a plays perspective based on how much you're adding to the values of the drives? So far in 2021, the average for college football, EPA is the highest in the first quarter. It's about 13% higher than the EPA on all plays. Second quarter, EPA is 1.5% below average. Third quarter, back up to 9.5% above average. And then fourth quarter, 18% below average. So maybe you can kind of picture a a chart in your head with those rises and falls. And I will put, I have a chart for this. I'm specifically not mentioning the EPA numbers because it gets too tough to, to track and follow, but I do have charts showing this that I'll put in the show notes on hailvarsity.com. So if you want to see a visual of it, you can check there for that. But so think about those rising rises and falls in a more general way, rather than the numbers themselves or the percentage first quarter is the highest. Um, that's when the plays are worth the most. So you've got both teams come in, they've spent an entire week game planning. They've got their opening scripts that are specifically designed to exploit things they've seen on tape. Both teams then get the chance to react to that. Be like, okay, they noticed this. We've got to change this, et cetera, et cetera. Second quarter things settle down to it, to a large degree. Um, 
I would consider that based on the numbers that we're looking at here, pretty much straight up football. So teams that have a significant talent advantage probably do pretty well there. But for the majority of games where things are relatively even, say between a six point spread and under, uh, you kind of got a little bit of a stalemate. The plays have less value in the second quarter. Teams go to halftime. That's when you really have a little bit of time to stop, say, okay, this is what they're doing. This is what we expected. This wasn't what we expected. Here's our plan of attack for that. Value of the plays goes back up. You get to the fourth quarter. Things drop off pretty significantly. And I believe that's primarily because at least one team, most of the time in in these games, is as concerned about the clock and controlling it as it is about moving the ball and producing more points if one team has a lead. One more important note here. EPA is higher across the board for teams that have a lead versus teams that trail, which definitely you probably see where this is going, comes up when, uh, when, we, when it comes time to talk about Nebraska, which we will do now. A few interesting things from looking at the Frost era as a whole and plotting it against that average line that we just established for EPA by quarter. First of all, Nebraska's offense, and this shouldn't come as a surprise, they're quite capable and always have been quite capable of producing yards. Um, It's above the national average in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. Then it falls below the national average in the fourth quarter. Now, remember, the fourth quarter goes down nationally as well. So Nebraska's drop is noticeably steep on that front. I've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, I've written about it before in various places, but part of the reason I think there's a drop there is Nebraska is so rarely playing with the lead that it expends, has to expend so much energy to get back into these games. And there's, there's a blessing and a curse with that. As I was tallying all this stuff on a quarter by quarter basis. And before I had a full picture of, okay, first quarter plays tend to be a higher EPA than second quarter plays. You know, I noticed Nebraska's first quarter EPA numbers were pretty high, which surprised me because it hasn't felt like Nebraska gets off to that fast of starts, particularly in terms of producing points, which you can still, if you put up a lot of yards and don't turn them into points, like your EPA doesn't necessarily show that, but that being the case, EPA for Nebraska was high in in the first quarter. What was not high was the number of plays Nebraska has run with a lead in that opening 15 minutes, just 23%. So trailing or tied for a good majority of the time in those opening stanzas. And remember, plays running plays with a lead is markedly better than running plays when you're trailing. Good news for Nebraska on that front, I guess. Um, The Huskers are quite good when trailing. Looking at plays only run with the Huskers behind on the the scoreboard, Nebraska's EPA is 75% better than the national average in the first quarter. It's 107% better than the national average in the second quarter. 160% better than the national average in the third quarter. 
and we've certainly that's been noticeable this year where the Huskers have dominated third quarters, both offensively and defensively. Um, but for the frost era as a whole, 106%, 160% better than the national average fourth quarter drum roll, please just 19% above average in the fourth quarter. So you don't drop all the way they do all the way down the way they do in all plays. Um, but still, if you're 19% better than average while trailing, you're still trailing and time is getting short. Here's the other side of that coin. Nebraska doesn't lead often enough. Talked about that. But when it does lead, it isn't that good at it. Here's those same numbers I just talked about while trailing, only for when Nebraska has a lead compared to the national advantage or national average. When leading, Nebraska's EPA in the first quarter is 15% below average. It's plus 0.2%. So effectively, just what the average team would be expected to produce in the second quarter when leading. It's minus 13% in the third quarter when leading and minus 12.5% in the fourth quarter when leading. So basically average in the second quarter, below average by at least 12% in each of the other three. It's here where I'm making some guesses about what this means. But Frost said at the top of the show, at his Monday press conference, it's time to get psychological. So that's what we're doing here. If Nebraska were a boxer, the above numbers lead me to believe it's the type of fighter who is better after his opponent lands that first big blow. Everybody's got a game plan until they get punched in the mouth, Mike Tyson said. Nebraska's plan or at least its play, seems to get better after that shot to the chops. It doesn't have much of a flight response, more of a fight response. That's better than crumpling at the moment, but it's still a tough way to consistently win football games, which the Huskers haven't so far. Good teams are good at creating unfair fights. And college football is unique in that a lot of these games come in as unfair fights. Ohio State versus most teams in the Big Ten isn't a totally fair fight when you look at how much, how the degree to which Ohio State out recruits the rest of the league. And you can find examples like that all over. But once you get into the games, finding ways to kind of seize that advantage, take a shortcut, if you will, you got to find high ground and stay there to win consistently, in my opinion. There are multiple ways to do this. Some teams like to bust out of the gates with an ace script and do it that way. Other teams are more patient. They get there through field position, kind of play the long game. But, you know, even trading punts for for some teams early in a game is getting off to the type of start that they want. It is getting out of the gates fast, even though it looks boring as heck to the average viewer who's not a fan of one team or the other. I think Nebraska would much prefer to be a fast out of the gates team. Um, We saw against, well, classic example was Northwestern this year. Nebraska got out to a fast start on Michigan up to the point where it didn't turn that opening offensive drive into points. It had kind of created the ideal game to that point. And at the time that it happened, I had no issue with Nebraska trying to punch in the touchdown 
on that fourth and three inside the five and take a 7-0 lead on Michigan. Having done all of this bi-week analysis slash research, now I'm kind of seeing more fully what even a 3-0 lead might have been worth. Though, as we know, Nebraska has, it's got some work to do about playing from ahead as well. And that's kind of the the overall takeaway. If, if Nebraska wants to be that out-of-the-gates team, the sprinter, so to speak, I think what it's finding is it has to do that in a league where most of the teams prefer the patient approach. Nebraska's showing signs of progress. They're a good team, but they're a good team that still takes the longest, most treacherous path possible. Good news on Saturday is that the P on Purdue's helmet doesn't stand for patience, in, in my opinion. They're not one of those classic Big Ten examples. They're not an Iowa or a Wisconsin. In terms of style, the Boilermakers are closer to Nebraska, which means the shortcut to a win on Saturday should be up for grabs in the first 15 minutes. With a week off in what is a must-win scenario, is Nebraska ready to take the easy route? There's no shame in that when the scoreboard reads the right way. That's the show for this week. Thanks as always for listening. If you like the show, give it a rating and review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell at least one enemy just to keep things somewhat even. And be sure you're checking out all of the shows uh, we put out each week on the Hale Varsity Network. We've got a show that goes out daily uh, on on that network. So plenty of angles on Nebraska athletics as a whole, uh, but also this Purdue football game, the state of the football program, basketball starts up again. Got huge volleyball matches coming up. A lot going on. The weather's great. Can't complain about the end of October. So thanks for listening. Uh, We'll talk again next week as Nebraska welcomes Ohio State to Memorial Stadium probably know a lot more about just what these next four or five weeks could look like after this Purdue game. So it'll be one that's full of intrigue. Thanks for listening. A Huda Media Production.